Hey, everybody. I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome back to Unnatural. Ooh, the final episode of 2021. It's been a hell of a year. It sure has, but you know what? We're not we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about how optimistic we are about 2022. We are going in this with our hard hats and safety goggles on, and we're treating it like we are the, the bull in the china shop. But we are going to keep ourselves composed, and we are not going to touch a goddamn thing. Yeah. I would just say my uh, my expectations, I'm setting them very low for 2022. That way, I can, if they go past that, I'll be happy, you know? Exactly. Low expectations, no expectations. Right. That's my motto for life. We're just going to try and make it out alive. So, what do we got going on today? Today, we will be discussing the brutal murder of a young girl in Billings, Montana, back in the 90s. Now, two people happened to stumble upon her clinging to life outside of her work, where she died shortly after arriving at the hospital. It is suspected that if she would have been found just minutes earlier, that she may have survived. Now, her case went stone cold for more than two decades until DNA evidence from an unrelated case linked her to her killer. This is the story of Miranda Fenner. was born December 26, 1979, in Sacramento, California, to her parents, Sherry and Mike Fenner. She also had a younger brother named Tim, and they were raised in Sacramento until her parents decided to relocate to the much, 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 much smaller town of Laurel, Montana. Big sky country. Yeah. Laurel is just a little ways outside of Billings. And her parents wanted to get them out of the big city because they had family in this area of Montana, and they kind of wanted to have their kids and raise the family in, you know, kind of like a smaller, small-town community, tight-knit community. Now, at a new school, Miranda was very quick to make friends, and that also extended into her high school years when she began attending Laurel High School. Miranda was described as having a big heart and a caring soul. She loved animals and wanted to work with children after she graduated. One of her uh, teachers described her as feisty and never failed to speak her mind. And her mom said that she often, quote unquote, took in strays, meaning that she had a tendency to befriend kids at school who were kind of considered the outcasts, didn't have a lot of friends, were maybe a little weird. But her mom said that even though she had reservations about some of these people, um, she trusted her daughter and, you know, Miranda's heart was always in the right place and she was just a good person yeah. trying to be friendly. Sometimes the people that you meet in life in high school 
you you develop that bond with them even if people from the outside don't quite understand it. Yeah, for sure. I was kind of one of those people in high school. Like I I I wasn't popular by any means, but I was just like I had friends in every clique. You know what I mean? Yeah. Same here. Miranda was pretty tall for her age, and she had really pretty kind of wavy dark brown hair and brown eyes. And when you see some of um, the pictures of her that I will post on the Instagram, she has she has just like these cute little dimples. I love dimples. Mm. I love them. She was so cute. She was such a pretty girl. But um, anyway, in May of 1998, she graduated high school and was ready for summer. She had plans to, you know, just kind of enjoy that one last summer, um, you know, with some of her friends before everybody went their separate ways for college. But unfortunately... Miranda got into a horrendous car accident and actually broke her neck. Oh, my God. Jesus. I so know. how did it happen? I don't know how the car accident actually happened. I I think in one source I read that she got hit by a drunk driver, but I couldn't find wow. any explanation in any other sources. So, But she she was driving? Yeah. Um, okay. But luckily, she wasn't paralyzed. In the accident, but she did have to wear a neck brace for the entirety of the summer. So her fun plans were more or less dusty. were derailed. Yeah. Yeah. But once her injury healed, she took a job at a local video store aptly named the movie store. Nice. So for those of you who don't know, you used to there used to be stores like Blockbuster and Family Video where you could go mm -hmm. in and rent a VHS or a DVD. I don't when did DVDs come out? Because this was ninety eight. Uh, DVDs came out in like the yeah, that that was right during the start of DVDs, I would say. What my favorite job of all time was a video store. I worked at a video store when I was in college. I did not. And oh my god, I loved it. It was amazing. I loved renting movies from the video store. Um, when I was growing up, our grocery store had a little movie section. And my mom would, you know, we would go get groceries on Saturday. And yeah. um, I could rent a movie. But I always rented the movie Wish Upon a Star with okay. um, Catherine Heigl in it. It's kind of like a Freaky Friday type thing where the two sisters like switch. I loved that movie. <laughs> Alexia Wheaton! my uh so when i worked at a video store um one of my memories from there so uh we had an adult section mm -hmm. right and um every night we would have to like clean it out and you know make sure nobody was back in there and stuff and it would always have to be a guy because if there were any guys back in there you know they would be creepy towards the girls and Ew. stuff but um anyway so we had this video, uh, this adult video section, which actually was like our biggest money maker <laughs> store. You know, I think that is every video store. It's yeah, you know, what, especially whatever. back then before Pornhub and stuff. Yeah. But anyway, so um, one day this woman comes in with her two little daughters, and they're renting Disney movies or whatever, and 
I rent the movies, but if there's a movie that hasn't been returned yet, especially for a long time, it won't let you rent the movies out. Mm-hmm. And this big red box popped up on the computer screen. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. You have some, you know, movies that haven't been returned yet. And she's, that's impossible. I haven't been here in three months, you know? And she said, well, what, what movie, what movie is it that's rented out? So I looked and it was a porn movie. And her daughters were standing right there. So, so you were like, uh, you know, it was a, it was uh, a movie. Well, no, like a I printed movie. it out. <laughs> I printed it out for her, mm. and then I showed it to her, and I could see her get like angry in the face and just beat red. Oh no! Was it her um, husband? So she goes outside, calls her husband, comes back in. And said, hey, my husband's going to pay for this. Can you rent us the movies? So I did. And about 20 minutes later, her husband shows up. <laughs> did he return the movie? And he looked like a, you know, a little puppy dog when, you, when they know they've done something wrong. Yep. And he uh, returned the movie, paid the fine. And he immediately said to me, I'd like to set up my own account, please. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was great. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, I wonder what the conversation between them was like when she got home or like after the kids went to sleep. Not good. Not good. Deceased. (laughs) Deceased. I'm sure someday she found out about his personal account, too. Oh, I'm sure. They always find out. We, Come on. We always find out. Men are stupid mm-hmm. and I don't respect them. Yeah, we're dumb. Moving on. We digress. So she got a job at the video store named The Movie Store. Now, Miranda's grandparents also owned, and I, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly. Someone can let me know if I'm wrong. Um, her grandparents owned the Lahoff Motel which was just across the street from the movie store. So her grandparents were able, you know, to sort of keep an eye on her. And both of these places were also just a handful of blocks away from her home. Mm. You know, Miranda's family wasn't too worried about her safety because she was so close to home. Grams and Gramps were close by. Yeah, just a hop, skip, and a jump away. Yeah. Um, But... This is a true crime podcast, so we know that this isn't necessarily a happy ending. She wasn't as safe as everybody thought. And on November 15th, 1998, Miranda went to her evening shift at the movie store. Now, around 7 p.m., she called her uncle from the store phone. The conversation was normal. Nothing was amiss. In fact, she was, at the time, taking down movie posters. Um, Some of them were for, you know, kind of like kids' movies. And she asked her uncle if her younger cousins would maybe want them. Mm. And, you know, the conversation only lasted a couple minutes. And then there was a transaction where a customer came in and rented something at 7.40 p.m. But then between 7.40 and 8.20, something went terribly wrong. 
because at about 8.20 p.m., two fishermen were heading home from their fishing trip when they saw Miranda trying to crawl like she was outside the store, outside the front door crawling, and she's bleeding profusely. So they call 911. Wow. And, you know, this this was a small town. Police arrived really quickly because there was a squad car in the area at the time. Now, around the same time, Miranda's little brother, Tim, was riding his bike to the store to rent a video game. Mm. And he saw all of the commotion. There's police lights. There's an ambulance. So he quick went and called their dad, Mike, who also rushed down to the store. And when Mike arrived, the officers told him that, um, you know, Miranda was being taken to St. Vincent's Hospital in, in Billings by helicopter, which is, was about 15 miles away. So Sherry, Miranda's mom, was at work at the time and, you know, she got a phone call or something. So anyway, they all met up and rushed to the hospital. Now, keep in mind, they had no idea what happened at this point. But somehow, apparently, um, according to Sherry, they made it to the hospital before Miranda did. Wow. How the hell is that possible? That's what I was wondering because Miranda's in a helicopter. Yeah. When you're being medevaced, I don't get it. They're in a car. So I don't know how accurate that is unless, you know, Mike was doing 150. Right. Like the the 15 miles. You know, who knows? Miranda did make it to the hospital, but unfortunately, she succumbed to her injuries while um, the surgeons were trying to save her life. Oh, my Um, gosh. And what were her injuries? Well, she was um, she was stabbed and she ultimately died of blood loss. She had been stabbed multiple times in her head and her throat had been slashed. Oh, my God. Poor girl. So she was 18 years old at the time that she died. Now, an officer by the name of Mark Guy was the first on the scene, and he said that his number one priority would be finding out who did this. So at the crime scene, you know, there's blood everywhere, obviously. Um, But police were not able to find a weapon, and really, they didn't find any evidence in the store. And, you know, the, the... I think they said they found some latent fingerprints and, you know, a couple other really small things. But in a movie store that's pretty heavily trafficked, that that could really come from anyone. I guess my my first thought would be who the last transaction belonged to, maybe, but... Yeah, and I I think it was done with cash, so... They can, and I don't, I, you know, I, I would have thought that too, but it's 1998. Yeah. A little Do bit they, before the whole scanning and digital thing that was going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, but anyway, they, um, they assumed it was a robbery gone wrong because there was some money missing from the till mm. and the till was open. But what's most heartbreaking to me, I mean, obviously other than Miranda, lost her life but sherry said in an interview that just days before her daughter was murdered they had had a conversation and made a plan of what to do in the event the store was being robbed while she was there and um sherry said that miranda told her yeah you know i'll just give them whatever they ask for i'm not gonna fight them 
which I would assume is probably what she did. That's what most people would do. Yeah. But, you know, and even when I worked in retail and I had to bring the money to the bank every night after I closed, you know, they always told us, if anybody comes up to you, just hand them the bag. Just give it to them. You know? You're not going to lose your freaking life over minimum wage. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so Detective Seth Watson was on the case, and he said that he got more leads on this case than any other he had worked thus far in his career. Wow. More than 700 people were interviewed in the weeks and months following Miranda's murder, but still, police had no suspects. No solid leads. Nothing. And the case goes cold. Hmm. And, you know, the family had reward posters up within days of her death. You know, first they had brought together um, $11,500 for a reward. And then, you know, community members and businesses all donated to the reward fund, which got up to more than um, than $25,000. Wow. Now, sometime in the year 2000, a man was killed during a shootout with police in Glendive, Montana, Uh who had allegedly talked about being involved in Miranda's murder. And this was investigated a little bit, but um, the police couldn't find any solid evidence to link him to it. So it was just kind of chalked up to being a rumor. Like a red herring or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we've... We've seen it a hundred times that people like to, for whatever reason, associate themselves with things like this. They like people to make be false confessions, braggadocious you, about things they've never even done, people they've never even met. Yeah, and it's so weird. Yeah, we should what we should like look into why people make false confessions and do shit like that, and like do like a bonus episode or something about that. Usually, dudes. Yeah. So then in 2006, Miranda's case was featured on the Montel Williams show. Oh, God, I remember that show. Yes. Oh, man. And during this episode, a psychic named Sylvia Brown. I remember her. Mm hmm. She was, okay. Mm hmm. Side note, she was full of shit most of the time. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Uh, she was kind of a quack, and she was called out for it many times. Just, just wait. Okay, um, okay. So she had claimed that two men, aged 19 and 24 at the time, were responsible for Miranda's murder. Nothing came of this. Right. And then in 2007, Miranda's case was featured on a show called Sensing Murder on the Discovery Channel. Hmm. Now, I couldn't find... The Montel Williams episode, but I did find the Sensing Murder episode, and of course, I watched it. Yeah. Because, obviously, um, and, you know, a lot of what happens isn't really relevant to the case. Nothing came out of it, but I just thought it would be interesting to talk about what these two other psychics did. Yeah, quote-unquote psychics. So the two psychics on Sensing Murder are named Pam Coronado and Lori Campbell. So they both are involved in the show and they both claim to have different abilities that help them solve crimes. Um, You know, 
Naturally, of course, obviously, psychic evidence isn't admissible in court or anything. But, you know, there have been times where, you know, psychics have have come in kind of as a last-ditch effort for anything. And helped break a case. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, you can decide if you think it's real or not. I... I feel like some people do have sixth sense type abilities, but I don't know if I don't see. I don't like the people that really try to get famous and monetize themselves off. Exactly. I was just going to say the people that monetize it, the people that are trying to, uh, you know, profit off of it. Those are the people you have to be suspicious of, and most of them are full of shit. I mean, there's certainly people who I do believe have a type of gift, you know, that that take money for readings or whatever. But I feel like, and I don't really know how to explain, but I feel like there's a difference between the ones who are real and just kind of do it for you know more like maybe more like a donation or a tip than the ones who are like you know all over the internet promoting their gift and oh i can speak with your dead loved one just pay me 120 dollars for a 30 minute session you know what i mean like there's a difference or back in the day uh miss cleo call me now for your free reading yes miss cleo Jesus. Someone should, someone should have got her on the case. So Miranda's family had actually apparently requested that the investigation team bring in the psychics. Mm. And Detective Weston said he didn't believe in psychics, but he was willing to try just about anything at this point to get the case solved because it's been eight years at this point, you know? Right. So how the show goes and how Pam and Lori kind of do their thing is they are both kept in separate rooms. They're speaking with separate officers and um, at different, you know, times, obviously they were both given the ring that Miranda was wearing when she was murdered. So they could like get a sense of who Miranda was, what happened to her. Sure. You know, kind of, you know, whatever. So at first, Pam and Lori's visions or feelings were pretty on par with the theories based on the crime scene and and yada yada. And oh, also to say, like, both of them allegedly had no idea about the case prior to coming in and doing all Okay, this. so they were coming in with a clean slate. Here. Yes. Pam got a vision of a cattle brand. And she drew it for the officer that she was speaking with. And she was like, you know, I don't think Miranda was branded, but I feel like it's just something that has to do with the man or men involved in killing her. And Okay. So maybe his profession or something like that. Maybe it was a rancher or something. Yeah. And, you know, this was not uncommon for the area in fact no in fact the brand that she drew was pretty on par with one of the local ranches yeah i mean this is cattle country remember yeah so i mean then as things progress and they do more talking and they do more feeling and they do more of whatever they do 
Um, Pam started to get a vision of a guy with light hair, a cowboy hat, you know, kind of the rancher vibe because she was the one who also saw the cattle brand. But Lori, on the other hand, saw someone who was older, dark hair, heavy set, facial hair. And Pam got more of a feeling uh, that the motive was kind of like a crime of passion. And that like Miranda saw the guy as a friend, but he wanted something more. She rejected him and he snapped and killed her. But Lori, on the other hand, saw something that was more a crime of opportunity. She was in the store. She was alone. The guy may have perhaps been been stalking her. So, you know, there that just kind of goes. And then later on in the episode, they take the psychics to separately still to the video store, which eight years later has now been turned into a, a sort of fitness center. Um, nothing really came of what the psychic saw or felt. So, you know, Miranda's case continues to hit a dead end. I mean, the only, really throughout the episode, the only thing that Pam and Lori really had in common was they, they had a feeling that there was a lot of blood involved. There was a stabbing involved and it had to do with her neck. Mm-hmm. So that was correct. But at the yeah. same time, I'm not entirely convinced that they had no idea. Right. You know, because how did how did her like how did they get involved? Well, without knowing anything about the case. Remember these TV shows, I hate to say it, but they're gimmicky. Their first and foremost reason for existing is for entertainment purposes. Absolutely. So. So anyway, that happened in 2007 or the episode aired in 2007. I'm not 100% sure when it was actually filmed. But anyway, in now we're going to fast forward to 2012 when Miranda's case was transferred to the Billings Police Department's cold case unit. Wow. So 14 years after this had occurred. Yeah. So it was around this time that Sherry began to this is totally unrelated. I just thought it was a little interesting, but Sherry began advocating for Marcy's law to be introduced into the state of Montana. Do you know what that is? No, explain it. So I I didn't go into too much depth or detail because there's a lot of legislature and mumbo jumbo involved in this, but apparently um, from what I, I understood of it is that Marcy's law was part of like the California Victims Bill of Rights Act, hmm. which was established in 2008. And it essentially grants protective rights to alleged victims of a crime and revokes certain rights of those accused of that crime. So my understanding was that it's kind of like the Miranda rights, but for victims. Right. And there's, there's 17 of them. I'm not going to go into that much detail because then we'd be here all night. But if you are curious, I will put a link in the description of this podcast, but you can also Google it on your own time. It's Marcy's Law. It's spelled M-A-R-S-Y. Moving on. In 2017, a Yellowstone County Sheriff's Officer 
was interviewing a guy named Zachary David O'Neill. Uh-oh. There's the three names again. Three names. So this man was interviewed in relation to an attempted murder of a newspaper carrier in Billings, which also happened in 1998. Now, according to this victim, she said that she was helping her daughter with the newspaper route, or her daughter was helping her with the newspaper route, and she heard running footsteps coming up behind her, and she was knocked down to the ground. So the man, now known as Zachary here, held a knife to her throat and drug her in between two nearby buildings. He then pulled down her shorts and said, I'm not going to, quote, he said, quote, I'm not going to hurt you. I'll let you go when I'm done. Oh, End my quote. God. Um, trigger warning. He then raped her and was yelling at her and screaming at her not to look at him. Now, obviously, this woman was trying to get away because she's being attacked and assaulted. And he was just getting angrier and angrier. So he got off of her and she kind of like put herself into the fetal position. Mm -hmm. And it was at that point that he started slashing at her throat and stabbing her with a knife. Oh, my God. So she, um, luckily because of the position, like, you know, she was curled up in the fetal position. Uh So he wasn't able to really get deep into her neck as he's just like slashing at her. So then she started, like, she went limp, she played dead, and then the man ran off. Now, this was obviously reported at the time. They found a condom at the scene and they had some DNA evidence, but it just, you know, kind of sat in evidence for, what, 20 years now. Almost. Yeah, what the hell? So, um, like I said, in March of 2017, he was initially brought in to be questioned about an, an unrelated crime. It was related to burglary. Um, mm-hmm. But long story short, it's now 2017. They had the DNA from that condom. So, I don't know if they... I don't know how exactly how they connected it or why, but the DNA was linked and um, he was able to be charged with that crime. But we are going to back up a little bit because he does like when he's being interviewed for this attack, he does apparently admit also to killing Miranda back in 19. Really? Holy shit. Yes. So things in here get confusing. Even in the sources that I was reading, it seemed like, like it's this, this timeline and how things went are really goofy and kind of, kind of difficult to understand. So just bear with me here. Apparently he said that he was in a psych facility in 2016 and multiple other times years prior. And for sure, in the 2016 year that he was in this facility, he had admitted to killing Miranda. Mm. Um, and he says that he had admitted to it several times before, but 
nobody took him seriously. And um, he never really offered anything up to confirm that it was him. He just said, I did it. And the police said that lots of people had falsely confessed. So they just assumed that Zachary was just another one of those people since he never really offered up any proof. Mm -hmm. But then during this 2017 interview, he said that he went to the movie store to rent some movies. But when he got home and his mom realized that they were pornos, she sent him back to return them. Now, I think Zachary is about 19 at this point in time. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he's pissed off that he's, you know, got to return his porn to the movie store. And he said that while he was on his way back to return them, he had decided that he was going to rob the store to feed his meth habit. Jesus. But then he figured that Miranda had already seen his face. So he decided that he was, he had to kill her and he did that with a hunting knife. What a fucked up rationale there. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's probably high on meth. He seems like a shitbag to begin with since, let me look, because this this thing with the newspaper gal was before Miranda. So Miranda saw his face and he had to kill her with a hunting knife. That's what he did. And he told police that he later disposed of that knife while on a hunting trip with his dad in Jordan, Montana, which is a good handful of miles away. But during this time, um, he was able to describe Miranda's clothing that she was wearing when it happened and other details about the crime that were not publicly released. So it was clear that he was the one that did it and he was formerly formally charged with Miranda's murder. Now, in true dumbass, weird-ass man fashion, he initially pleaded not guilty. What a dumb shit. After he had already confessed. Yes. (laughs) How many times do we see this? This is crazy. Right. Now, around the same time, um, you know, when things are ki- are, are are coming out, they have they've they've charged someone. I think this was right before the trial happened, or maybe it was after. I'm unsure. But Miranda's family released the following statement. They said, "Quote: We wish to take this opportunity to thank everyone for their kindness and support over the last 20 years. We are relieved that there is an end in sight for the nightmare that's caused so much heartache and pain for everyone who knew and loved Miranda." Unfortunately, nothing will bring Miranda back, and we can only pray that other families may be spared the grief that this type of crime inflicts. We wish to thank the Yellowstone County Sheriff's Office, the Cold Case Unit, and all agencies and individuals involved in the investigation. Their dedication and time is greatly appreciated. We wish to thank everyone who has shared our posters and signs over the years, everyone who didn't give up and continued to search for answers, everyone who provided so much love and support. Please understand that our family is still dealing with the recent developments in Miranda's case, and we respectfully ask for privacy at this time. So that was before, like, any sort of trial went on. Mm. Now, on July 22nd, 
2019, 39-year-old Zachary O'Neill entered a guilty plea in the murder of Miranda Fenner. And in August of 2019, he was sentenced to life in prison for deliberate homicide, attempted deliberate homicide, and sexual intercourse without consent. So what happened is, you know, he was being charged for these two cases. Now, Miranda's and this other woman who I didn't find a name of. And even if I did, I don't think I would say it anyway. But um, right. he ended up taking a plea deal. Okay. What was the plea deal? That he'd take life in prison. Oh, the life in prison. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. And I don't know if there is a possibility of parole. It didn't say in any of the sources that I was able to read. Yeah. But not that it it matters. I mean, he's not getting out. Um, right. So Miranda's yeah. father addressed his daughter's killer at the sentencing hearing and said, quote, you ruined my life. You ruined my son's life. You took away my son's best friend and you broke my wife's heart oh. when you took away my daughter. Which is uh, absolutely true for to think about what that family went through for all those years, decades. Tw- yeah, 20 years. You know, you don't get closure. It's no. it's on your mind every day, all the time. Yeah. And his other victim also spoke at the hearing, and she talked in graphic detail about the sexual assault. And she said that 21 years later, she is still unable to use her hands properly due to the injuries that he inflicted. Wow. And she said that he is pure, unadulterated evil. Yeah. Now, Zachary over here also said a bunch of bullshit about, I can't imagine what you've been through all these years, blah, blah, blah. You know, he said yeah, that- don't, don't try and fake empathy now, dude. I tried to confess, you know, bullshit. But anyway, so like we think think back here. Zachary, let's go back to the night she was murdered. Zachary had to have been that person, that transaction at 740. Yeah, that we talked about. So that was the porno. Yeah. And then she's found less than an hour later. Right. You know, it's just insane that those two fishermen had to have missed the whole thing by minutes. Yeah. Even seconds, maybe. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I did I did read somewhere that the police had said that, you know, if they could have gotten to her, maybe even just like 10 or 15 minutes sooner, the doctors maybe could have saved her life yeah. because she was, just, she was, you know, she ultimately died of blood loss. So yeah. we don't know. We can't really sit here and talk about the what ifs. What matters is that she ended up with some justice. They found the man who killed her just, just recently, not that long ago. And he's in prison and will remain there for the rest of his life. Her family got closure, as much closure as you can get in those types of situations yeah. anyway. So, right. Yeah. Thus concludes wow. the story of Miranda Fenner. What a crazy tale. Poor girl. I mean, you're just working yeah. at a video store. I know. You've got your whole life ahead of you. And then some asshole takes it away. I know. She just graduated high school. Mm-hmm. I just... <sighs> 
I could complain about these types of people for hours. And if you also like to complain, mm-hmm. come complain with us on Twitter, Unnatural the Pod, Instagram, Unnatural the Podcast. We have a Facebook page, Unnatural, a true crime podcast. You can send us an email, unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. And we have our Patreon page set up where you can get bonus content, ad-free, early access episodes, and much more. That is patreon.com slash unnaturalthepod. And as always, be sure to rate, subscribe, follow, and share us with your friends. We will talk next week when Andy tells us about... So next week, Emily, we are talking about actually an investigation that is ongoing. Mm. So it's not completed yet, but it's pretty crazy. And it takes us down to the state of Texas and a murder for hire case. And that's all I'm going to say. Right now. Carol Baskin. No, nothing to do with Carol Baskin. Killed her husband, whacked him. But that didn't even take place in Texas, but whatever. No. Whenever I hear murder for hire, yeah. I always just Joe Exotic. Yeah. Carol Baskin. It might not be on the level of Tiger King, but it's pretty fucked up. Fair enough. In the meantime, we will see you next year. Please be smart, be safe, make good choices. And don't get got. Bye. See you on the flippity flip. See you on the flip side. Hey, hey, hey. (laughs) We will talk next week when Andy tells us about... The New Year's Resolution Killer. Ooh, ooh. I don't think I've ever heard of that. A guy that made a long list of people he wanted to kill in the next year. And that was his New Year's Resolution list. Ha. Huh. I'm just kidding. That never happened. God damn it, Andy. That'd be a I hell of like, a story, though, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, 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 yo, hey, I thought it was like a yogi bear. That's what I... Hey, boo-boo.